0: I think naturally as human beings, it comes to us. And I mean, we are all in the same boat. We feel like I want to get something from the other person and that's why I should do it. But the moment we start thinking of getting something from the other person, we lose the value of that connection. I mean, the way I look at it is like saying from Gita, like I'm in Gita, they say, if you want to degrade the quality of your work, then think about the result. Just focus on giving your best with the highest of your virtue, without the result. And that's how you will never degrade the quality of your work. But the moment you will bring down your consciousness from not giving your best, because you are thinking about what you can get out of it, then you will never be able to give your best.
1: You're listening to Foreign Founders, where we tell stories of immigrant and international founders who are working tirelessly to shape the future. We share stories of their upbringing, culture, and background, and explore the companies and products they're building. We want to highlight these founders because these are stories that are often not told. Thank you for joining us. We have an awesome guest on the show today, Atal Argawal. It's really hard to describe what he does in a single sentence, but he is a repeat immigrant founder, product builder, investor, community builder, content creator, and Ironman athlete. Welcome to the show, Atal.
0: Thank you for having me here, Andy. I'm very excited to just like share my journey and learn from you and share with our audience and with the people who are listening about how I look at life, how I look at things and just see where it goes.
1: Yeah. So, you know, really appreciate you being on the show. There's a lot to cover and you have really colorful background at such a young age already. So let's start with the very beginning. Where'd you grow up?
0: So I grew up in a small town in India called as Rampur UP. There's like a state called as Uttar Pradesh. And there's a, like a kind of a village, Rampur. So my dad worked at a big company. There's only one company there. So my dad worked at that company. He got us education there. I mean, I didn't get a lot of exposure and I was pretty shy even in my high school years. And I would be like kind of a backbencher. I would get like 23rd rank in my class. And my dad would always be upset of me not studying enough. Um, because my sister was very studious and she would be in the top three people. And I was like getting 23rd consistently from first to sixth standard. And I was like, okay, guys, this is just like, I'm lucky number is 23. <laughs> so I would always get 23. But yeah, I think that's where I grew up. And then after sixth standard, my family moved to kind of Delhi area. And I moved with my grandparents for a few years in Merritt. <laughs> Merit is another town close to Delhi. And then I did my kind of high school in Delhi. And then I moved to Kolkata, near Kolkata to IIT Kharagpur. And then I came to the US. So yeah, mainly in North India and then some part in East India.
1: Yeah. And (laughs) was your dad working at the same job like throughout his adult life? He worked for this company for a long period
0: of his life, like 15 plus years, but then he ended up changing jobs in the same domain, but just like different companies. And he tried different companies in that fashion. He was also, you know, after a while, when he started growing up, he was like, okay, I want to like take maybe some risk here and there. And he ended up changing some jobs and he got promoted very quickly there. At one point, he was like reporting to the CEO of a very big company, kind of like billion-dollar kind of company. He was the chief of staff there. So from his job as an accounts manager to that role, I have seen him quickly rising up to the ranks because of his confidence and just like consistently working hard.
1: Yeah. And is that your older sister or younger sister? who was always top so have, three. Yeah, yeah, older sister. So I have a okay. younger
0: brother and an older sister, so I'm like the middle child.
1: Nice. Did you ever feel that competitive nature with your siblings?
0: So so my younger brother is too young for me to feel any competition. For me, he's my love, you know, for me, he's like everything. With my sister, it's just we have two years of difference, age difference. And we both just, you know, in a family, when there are only certain things that you are, you have in the family, and yeah. it's divided. So it was divided between me and my sister. So you would always be like, there is some competition happening because I am losing or she's losing in that sense. There was no clarity like, okay, abundance mindset was not there. <laughs> it was like, okay, you just have a little bit and she's going to take some and I'm going to get some. So yeah, we definitely had a lot of competition. And I mean, also, she was very good in studies and she would outperform in our family. And she's like a symbol of pride in our family. So everyone looked up to her While me, like, kind of like a kid who was like, oh, why don't you study? Why don't you do better in your exam? So I was always looked down like that. And I was like, guys, I try hard, you know, I try hard, but this is just my potential. I'm just not a great kid to study. So I think definitely they were like, they were just feeling of jealousy with my sister why she gets so much appreciation while I don't get all that appreciation in the early years of my life.
1: (laughs) No, I get that. And that's super interesting too, because of your story, like after Especially the Iron Man stuff, but also founding companies and building, you know. But let's fast forward a little bit to university years. Mm -hmm. What you study in university, and how I think in one of the podcasts I was listening to, you said you got your internship opportunity just serendipitously.
0: Yeah, no, happy to share. So I think if I call there are lotteries in life, you know, I call myself as someone who has kind of got every lottery that can come in life, and somehow. I don't know how it happens, but I always, whenever there is a lottery happening, I am the winner. Somehow, this is just how I believe. I don't know how, I'm just so grateful to all of this. What happened is like, I, so I, during my high school, I prepared for IIT and I got admission into IIT Kharagpur. I went there and as soon as I went there, I got the course as mining engineering, mining and safety engineering. And once I reached IIT Kharagpur, I realized that I actually, I'm kind of like an advocate kind of guy. So even when I was preparing for IIT in Delhi, if there were some protests and all happening in Delhi for women rights or against corruption, I would find this as my duty to actually go up and go along with the protesters. And I did that a few times and I would fast at my house because what I learned in the early years is like, I don't have a right to complain unless I actually show up. And I always considered that, If I should not be the one complaining, I should do something about it. So that started very early in my life. And as I continued doing this in high school, when I went to college in my first year, I realized that actually I kind of got into a couple of issues about quality of food in the hostel mess. And I'm like, this is not right. The food should be better. Why is the food so bad? I got elected to be like a secretary of the student body for that hostel. So I started enjoying this public service in those moments while in my first year. And as I continued growing in my college life, people started liking me because I would stand up for the right things. I would fight for it. I wouldn't bring myself down. I would just be like very much like, hey, guys, this is wrong. I'm not going to be like just letting it pass for me, you know. So that just continued going in. And when it was about the elections to become the president of the student body mm-hmm. in my third year, I was considered as one of the strongest candidates there in the college because of how many people knew me and how many people thought that I would lead well. The most interesting thing is my English was not good and my English was so bad that in my first year, I could not write even a paragraph and I would not be able to speak more than two sentences. I would do it in Hindi, but I would not be able to do it in English. So from first year to third year, it was kind of a journey for me to actually learn how to speak in English because I knew I can't win this election if I don't learn how to speak in English. And I was very passionate about becoming this president of the student body. So I guess then when the time came about getting elected, I contested the election. There is a very interesting process where you give like an interview to more than thousand plus students who are standing there and you will answer your questions that they will ask you. So it's like a very big like a presidential debate kind of thing. (laughs) Presidential debate might be easier than that because here on the opposite side, you have so many people who are against you because they want to support the other candidate. And they will fight you and they will abuse you from the other side. And you are just like listening to all of that while not taking anything personally and just like continuing to go forward in the direction you want. Yeah, then I got elected as the president of the student body and I got elected with the highest margin in the history of the college at that time. And once I got elected, I was like, wow, now this campus is my campus. So I would like be like as if this is my really my campus. I would not let anyone do anything Unless I agree with it, you know, like you need to take agreement from a president of the student body, even the administration, like professors and chancellor and everything. And I would be like everywhere. I would like, guys, I need to be as a representative of the student body. I need to be included in it. And slowly and slowly I started like getting more and more power within the campus. The story of my internship is more about there is this very successful alumni from my college. His name is Vinod Gupta and he has like sold his company for like $800 million long back. And he has donated like around $100 million to IIT Kharagpur and he came on a visit to the college and uh, he's from my hostel so when he came on a visit people told me that hey he's coming and wh- how about you stand outside the hostel and just like greet him because you are the president of this student body and I was like I will do it any day you know he's a great guy he's such a successful guy I was right there outside the hostel and he came on a visit in his car and I just had a handshake with him and I said sir thank you so much for everything that you do for IIT Collective and he's like No, that's great. Great to meet you at all. Great to know that you are the president and great to see you. And then I showed him the campus along with me. I showed him the hostel that time and then he just left. And I just never thought of anything because I just never expected anything from this interaction. If you think about it, I just never expect things from people. I just like genuinely be like, hey, thank you for everything you do. Mm -hmm. Two days later after that meetup, he sends me an email and says, hey, what are you doing this summer? Come to US and work with us. And oh my God, I was like, are you kidding me? Because I was like, I was planning to do an internship in some random company in India. And I yeah. never knew what I was planning to do. It was just two months after. It was like, this is in March. And my internship would start in May. And he's like, no, 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 you come to US and just work with us. Dude, he just helped me process all my visa and everything yeah. so quickly and gave me an internship and I just came here for summer internship in his company. That's how That's I got the internship. incredible.
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I think there are a couple of things that are super important, but one of the things that you're saying, which I think I am trying to get better at without any strings attached, you're just like trying to help people, you know, and then the good things are come.
0: I think naturally as human beings, it comes to us And I mean, we are all in the same boat. We feel like I want to get something from the other person and that's why I should do it. But the moment we start thinking of getting something from the other person, we lose the value of that connection. Mm -hmm. I mean, the way I look at it is like saying from Gita, like I'm in Gita, they say, if you want to degrade the quality of your work, then think about the result. Just focus on giving your best with the highest of your virtue without the result and that's how you will never degrade the quality of your work but the moment you will bring down your consciousness from not giving your best because you are mm-hmm. thinking about what you can get out of it then you will never be able to give your best because you are just playing in this field while you are not able to reach the highest of your potential because of your intention to get something out of it
1: yeah infinite wisdom from a lot of yeah so did you always know that you wanted to work in the US there are probably a couple things that went through your mind when Vinod was like, hey, mm-hmm. come intern at my company. It was like, oh, I can learn from this person that I respect. And what were the other things that went into your mind when you're like immediately in two months, I'll be on the plane on the way?
0: Yeah. Given it was my first trip to the US,
1: I was very interested
0: to see how human beings who don't look like me, like Brown, actually look like, (laughs) like being close to human beings who don't look like me, because definitely I had a lot of bias about, oh, human beings might actually be different when they have different color of skin or when they speak different language, different environment. I always thought they would be different they can't be like me you know like in a way when i'm saying they can't be like me it's like they must not be having the same emotions like me or they might not be having some similar thinking of my mind like i do like they might be in a different frequency altogether so i was very curious to come here so that i can be close to other type of people and learn from them about uh-huh. how they live their life and how, what that means to them how they actually think about all these things so i was very excited for that and I was also very excited to learn from Vin, you know, that I will get to be in a company of someone who is so respected in our community, in our college and everywhere. And I would be able to see in real time how he actually lives his life. Mm-hmm. It's kind of funny. Now I know him for eight years. We meet every month for dinner or something in Bay Area because he lives in Bay Area. So it's kind of funny that how much now I'm just thinking about it, how much has changed in these eight years. Where how I was like, okay, I'm so curious to learn about him. And now we are like very much friends and we share great dinners together. And I mean, definitely we have, we have agreements and we have disagreements and everything. So things have changed a lot. Yeah. Those are the relationships that, yeah, really builds you
1: and your character and the stories that you're about to tell. So... From your LinkedIn, there's a lot of different roles, but there's two primary roles that I see. First one is (laughs) your founder, I think, multiple Mm -hmm. times built something. Mm -hmm. And then you're also a product builder, I think. So where do you want to go? Which side do you want to talk about first?
0: So I'm a very ambitious guy. I mean, I used to reject it. Now I'm just beginning to accept it. (laughs) But I feel like I'm just a very ambitious, curious guy who... Just wants to learn and who just wants to do better. Like, I just have so much desire to seek excellence in everything that I do. And when I take too much on my plate, I create a mess too because there is no excellence then. But I always seek excellence in everything that I do. And Mm -hmm. I do not like settling for anything less than that. And this is good as well as this is bad because I am fighting very hard because of this reason all Mm the time to continue moving forward. And sometimes it could be exhausting too. So when I say excellence, it was about becoming the president of the student body. Like I was like, no, I would want to be the highest position holder in there. And it was not the desire that this position is going to get me a lot of things. Everything is just a lottery that happened there. I was not expecting things to shape up that well for me, but I was just genuinely interested to serve people from the highest levels of power. I had that much interest in at that time. Then when I came to the U.S. for internship and all, after graduation from my master's at UC Santa Barbara, I immediately tried my startup, which Mm -hmm. is about me not interested in a job because I was like, I want to create jobs. So as soon as I graduated, I immediately was like, okay, let's build a startup together. And We got like $15,000. We won a prize at UC Santa Barbara, the first prize. And I was very happy about it. And we raised money for that too. And it's funny That as soon as I realized I'm on a wrong path, which means that idea is a research problem and not a startup product, Mm -hmm. I gave back the money to the investors. Mm -hmm. And that is also a part of like me realizing that my time is more precious than anything else. Because I was like, my time is I can use all this money that investors have given for the next six, eight months and waste it all. Even when I have already realized that no, 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 this is not going to make a lot of sense. And this idea doesn't make sense. I should be doing something else. And I took a job into product at that time where I was like, okay, it's time for me to learn better. So I feel like that has been a trend in my life where be it running an Ironman race, which is Mm -hmm. very far away from any of my capabilities, be it swimming from Alcatraz to San Francisco, just to kind of fight my fear of drowning from Lake Tahoe. It was just like to be free, to be truly free to myself, I got to achieve excellence. And it does come at a cost too. But to me, the cost is just too less. And the joy of celebrating that excellence in me yeah. is just too high.
1: Yeah. And let's talk about the excellence. I know Iron Man is a big thing that you talk about, whether it's online or through podcasts and stuff. Tell us the story.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think my Iron Man story is pretty funny. It's not a normal Iron Man story. And I do not recommend people doing anything like that. What really happened with me is, so I'm going to backtrack on how it actually started. Yeah. So I was living in near Lake Tahoe in a cabin by myself and I was going through a breakup and just living by myself, processing that breakup, really sad, seeing a therapist. And just to like break out of that breakup, I kind of organized a mini camping trip with my friends in Lake Tahoe. And I was very excited about that camping trip and I didn't know how to swim at that time. And I was like, okay, finally, I'm getting over this breakup. Finally, I'm happy. Things are getting better. And I am in this kayak in Lake Tahoe, just like enjoying, and it's a one-person kayak. And one of my friend, close friend was there, and I told him, I'm like, bro, we don't have life jackets, so you are here near me to save me, right? He's like, yeah, I'm around. And I'm like, okay, great. Then I'm not worried, and we both are just like close by. Once we started going in the water, I didn't realize how unbalanced can these one-person kayaks get. I'm just a little bit in the water, and there is this steamer comes by the side, and I got my kayak got flipped, and oh my god, I didn't know how to swim, and I'm holding <laughs> onto the, I'm holding onto the side of the kayak, and I'm calling my friend Todd, bro, Todd, come, come get me out. And Todd comes near in his kayak, he's nearby, and he's like, bro, you can't jump back in your kayak because there is water in it. And I'm like, take me in your kayak. He's like, no, bro, I'm gonna fall too if I'm gonna take you in my kayak. And he's like, bro, the only way is you swim back and I can bring your kayak later. I'm like, no, I'm not leaving this kayak. What are you talking about? And he's like, no, no, bro, you can do it. And I'm like, holy cow, this is not what I signed up for. This was such a great trip to get over everything. And that day I just like felt so helpless in my life. There is hypothermia in my legs and I'm not able to swim. I'm not able to move my legs either. And I'm looking at the side of the beach and I'm like, I will just try this little swim that I would have to do. And once I realized that there is no way out and my friend is not taking me out and I'm like, okay, I'm going to just swim, whatever. And I just started swimming back. Oh my God, there was no sink in my breath. There was no sink. I was not even clear if I'm going in the right direction. And if very well I would have been in the wrong direction, I would have gone way far just by parallel to the beach. It was so bad because I just didn't know how to look out of the water while swimming either. And as soon as I reached the beach, I just crashed on the beach. I looked at the sky. Why me? Why do I have to deal with all this in my life? It's just like there is nothing working out here. I'm going through a breakup. Every Life is like at the rock bottom. And here I'm like even drowning. I'm like, why do even I have to live? It was like that bad. That day I said, okay, today is the last day. I said, I'm going to teach myself how to swim and I'm going to fight this. That day I made a decision and for the next two, three months, I will go to the swimming pool. I will swim by myself and keep practicing. No coach, nothing. And I will be like, okay, a little better, a little better, a little better. And three to four months down the line, I'm like, okay, now I know how to swim a decent bit. Then I came to San Francisco and that's where I was like, if I want to really feel that I'm free of this, I got to swim. I've got to do a big swim. And that's what made me swim from Alcatraz to San Francisco. On that day from Alcatraz <laughs> to San Francisco, I realized now I am free. That just
1: was a fight for freedom. That is so extreme.
0: <laughs> yes. That I said, incredible.
1: do not do that. Yeah. yeah, I heard Alcatraz swimming from Alcatraz yeah. SF is super cold, really wavy. Yeah. And you're like, I'm going to do that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I feel like uh, once I get into that mindset that I there is no way out, I just know there is no way out because it's like I'm either internally dying because I just don't feel like I'm enough or externally dying, which is being in the water and really dying. So I mean, yeah. for me, the option is like you can die being in the water than being dying every day internally, knowing that you are not free. Yeah. That's how hard I fight for my freedom. And then after that Alcatraz swim, I was like, now I know how to swim, bike, run. How about just like try out an Ironman race? Oh. So I did my first half Ironman that time in Santa Cruz and that was in the ocean. And I was like, okay, mean, I can swim from Alcatraz. I can definitely do this half Ironman. And then after that half Ironman, I realized something interesting. I realized I was doing this for external validation and I thought I do not want to do things for external validation. I want to do things for my own soul because external validation has no end in life. Then I just kept doing a lot of biking Mm -hmm. and I would bike every other day from my home to Golden Gate Bridge and I would just be trained and I would just enjoy my life and all. And I had no plan to do any full Ironman because I was like, that is an external validation. But I thought I was always ready to be an Ironman because I was just biking every other day. It so happened that when on H1B visa, I got 60 days to leave the country or find a new job. And I got that freedom. In that moment, I was like, should I just go back home? If I'm going back home, what do I want to do before leaving? Mm-hmm. I'm like, I might as well do this Ironman race. Then I just signed up 10 days before the race. It was funny that On that race day was the time when I jumped in open water after a year. Like, I didn't do anything in the middle of that. No training, no water. And water is like the scariest thing for me. But then I was like, okay, I should just take my shot. If I can do it, great. If I can't, that's okay. You know, I should know how much stamina I do have. I just did that and I was like, holy cow, I can do this 140 plus miles. That's crazy. So that's how I ran my Ironman race with little to no training. Do not recommend it. But... For me, this is just how I go on extremes, which is not a good thing.
1: Yeah, that's a crazy story. Also, i ran 40 plus miles of doing three different. Yeah. Wild. You are crazy, sir. (laughs) I
0: feel like this is very interesting that to me, these things come out from my chase of excellence, where it's like there is a high chance that I will just die by doing these things. Um, But just like it gives me so much of... Is it adrenaline? Is it like yeah. some kind of internal chunky internal feeling of like, yeah, there's joy that comes out of it by being able to accomplish those things. Yeah. And I do not care about uh, other things in those moments. Like there's just this extreme obsession sometimes.
1: So what would you, your next physical like obsession be? Uh, it? It's funny. I
0: actually do not have any obsession of, I mean, I was happy about it and uh, now I'm training here and there. I go yeah. biking. I enjoy biking. And I have nothing and I'm just like a little more obsessed about this solving problem for immigration. I get really obsessed about that these days.
1: Yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah. So you yeah. are the founder of Immigration First. Can you tell a little mm-hmm. bit more about the Immigration First, its vision, and then the mm-hmm. company itself?
0: Definitely. So so it's called as ImmigrantFirst.ai. ImmigrantFirst.ai. And I feel like it just so happened that when I got 60 days on H-1B, I got lucky because I found a job at that time. And I also created a lot of content around immigration that time. And people loved my blogs of like day zero of 60, day one of 60 and Mm all. But I think I just, because I found a job, a part of me felt guilty that so many of my friends are actually going back home. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like this is not right. If someone has done so much for this country for the last five, 10 years, Mm -hmm. why would this country send them back? Like, this is just like not respecting them for their service. Slowly and slowly, as I was realizing that I'm like, this is wrong. This is fundamentally wrong. No one should be sent back in this fashion. When the economy is good, you are like, hey, come to our country. And when the economy goes bad, you are like, hey, go back. Boom. I was like, no, this is not right. It hurted me personally. And I felt a lot of guilt because a lot of my friends were leaving. And I'm like, I want to do something about this. Mm-hmm. So slowly and slowly, I was just using chat GPT for writing my own petition for EB1A. Mm-hmm. As I was doing it, I was like, okay, maybe I can scale this into a product and help other people. So I started building immigrant First. AI, where people can now go and start getting a free evaluation for EB1A, O1 visa, or EB2 NIW. And mm-hmm. also write their recommendation letters, generate their applications and everything and also find experts and lawyers and anyone they want. Mm -hmm. So it started like more of like my passion for community and helping immigrants and that's how I'm taking it too. Even at this point my goal is to help more and more immigrants because I feel like immigration should be easy. I wish immigration law was easy and since immigration law is not easy my goal is to make that law be so easy and accessible to everyone that people do not struggle through this process, especially like high-skilled people. Like people are so talented. People had their great lives in their country. They were like top bread earners in their country. And by coming to America, they should not be the ones struggling with this whole, this process. So that's why I started building it.
1: So for people who are not familiar with the very convoluted, very complicated immigration process, what would you say are like the top three things that people who are going to AI is like, oh, that actually solves a lot of my problems.
0: Mm-hmm. I think the
1: first part is people
0: do not understand how to get an O-1 visa.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It does look very complicated from a distance to think through your case about like, hey, am I even going to qualify for this? I'm not extraordinary. I don't mm-hmm. have this and that. But I feel like we are making it so easy and streamlined that people can qualify for O-1 visa easily. Mm-hmm. and Even the government says that this is like an underutilized visa. And uh, what we are saying is we can make it easy for you to get O-1 visa. And I feel like people would find a lot of value through our system, through the experts. We can also guide them that, hey, this is how you can get your O-1 visa if you don't have it or if you yeah. want to build your profile for that way. So I feel like slowly and slowly, that is going to be very, very helpful for people. When people come to America, no one wants to be refused by the immigration system because people feel like getting denied a visa is going to impact their profile Mm -hmm. in the long run. And they don't want their dreams to be killed because of some mistake here and there. Mm -hmm. But now I have like talked to enough people to realize that even if you get rejected once in application, people get it the second time. People get it the third time, which means there is like a lot of feeling fear in people that Rejection is bad, but rejection is better than not knowing whether, where you stand. So a lot of people nowadays are realizing that, let me just take my shot. If it works out great. If it doesn't, then I can improve my profile. But mm-hmm. I mean, able to just try that is very, very helpful. Other than that, I feel like just uh, finding a community of people who are also immigrants is very helpful for immigrants. Because yeah. we all come here after spending a decent amount of life in our home country. Yep. And now we have to start from scratch and make friends and everything. So I feel like that's also very valuable.
1: Yeah, that's the whole like for me when I'm that resonates really well, because that's the whole mission of the show is I started mm-hmm. out just hearing immigrant stories, immigrant founder yeah. stories like yourself. And then the more I talk to immigrant founders, they're like, yeah, I have founder friends, but I don't have any like immigrant founder friends. So like their questions around visa, their questions around hiring, all these fundraising, all these things, they were just like, I don't know who to ask. And I think you are doing it at a bigger scope of like all the immigrants who are like coming to this country as, you know, either student or skilled labor force or everything. And being able to be a place where people can ask questions, people can get help, people can streamline their process. That's really cool.
0: Yeah, there are like a million people who come to America to study every year. And they do not get a lot of good support about navigating the immigration system. And yeah. I mean, when we come, we just are like very simple, like, hey, I just want to come to a new country. Yeah. I mean, for me, I didn't even know the, the term immigration, which I learned after coming to America for the first time, like, oh, I mean, not having a desire to immigrate. And I mean, these are all very complicated terms. People are like, hey, I just want to work and enjoy my life and just want to learn from this country. Why yeah. do I have to deal with all this? So making things simple for people really makes yeah. me happier. Yeah.
1: And I saw recently that you were posting, you know, your videos from DC. What were you doing out there?
0: <laughs> yeah. So, you know, given I'm so passionate about this topic, I know very well that there are some things you can do with technology, yeah. while some things require very... Important measures in the policy itself. Yeah. So, some things you can solve via product, but some things you really need policies help. And my trip to Washington, D.C. was very much about advocacy for one of the bills that has come on the floor over the last few weeks. Mm -hmm. I mean, most people do not know, but as per the current law, people from India who come to America, the wait for them to get even a green card is like, 134 years plus, which means they are not going to get green card in their lives. And people do not understand what green card actually provides. Green card is not about even like living in America. It's about the freedom to be able to do what you want to do in this country Mm -hmm. and not be worried about whether I'm going to be getting kicked out or what, you know? Mm -hmm. And right now, all these people, a million people are working for H1B employers where their freedom is tied to the employer. Mm-hmm. And the current H1B is like, hey, you get, if you lose your job, you get 60 days. And a million people are in this process like that, where they might, if they lose their job, they would have 60 days. And some of them have been living in this country for like 15 years. And there are new problems that are occurring because of this, because some of these people moved here 15 years ago, their kids were like two years old when they moved here. Mm-hmm. And now their kids are still dependent on them. And as the kids are now becoming 21, they cannot be dependent on their visa anymore, Mm -hmm. which means now these kids have to leave the country. So imagine a kid that came to America as a Mm two-year-old and at 21, you tell them that America is not your home country. Mm -hmm. Imagine what this kid will go through because that kid doesn't even know any other country as their home. Right. For that kid, America is their home. And I met some of those kids who are really going through depression now because only recently they realized they are not American. And I was like, this just makes me feel so sad about the state of this challenge where a million people are stuck without a green card. Their right to vote is denied. And Mm -hmm. as a constitution, they are not living a life which is what the constitution promises them or which was the vision of the American forefathers. Mm -hmm. I feel like when I felt like It is very important for me to go and advocate for this. So I went to Washington, D.C. I went to a lot of Congress meetings, talked about this bill for support and all. It's a very long battle, but I feel like it's one of the most important battle that I probably would be taking down the line. And I would really want this law to be changed.
1: So what's the outcome that you want to advocate for? And what is the outcome that you think is realistic, especially with like this trip to D.C.?
0: The likely outcome is this bill getting passed, mm-hmm. which is going to get all these people out of backlogs by mm-hmm. using the underutilized green cards. It's kind of funny. On one side, there are green cards which the government has allocated, but no one is getting them. Yeah. And on another side, there are a million people who are stuck waiting for a green card. So there are like around, I think around 80,000 green cards, which are getting underutilized every year, like no yeah. one is using it. And then there are a million people who are not able to get green cards. So what this law, what this bill does is it kind of like changes, removes the per country cap Mm. and it makes it first come first serve basis, which means anyone who comes to America, the first person who comes in gets the green card first. So Mm. that way, Everyone is in the same line. And the way this bill is designed is as of now, everyone who is coming in for the next five to 10 years would continue getting in the same format. All the underutilized green card would be given to people who are in backlog. And then down the line, it will be streamlined in a way that first come, first serve basis.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. That seems, I know like a lot of bureaucracy is just like very slow moving, but that seems so logical where it's like these are, you know, if you're going to make it so rigid about per country. And if they're not utilized, then open that up. That makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, 100%. I think that's why this is a bipartisan bill where Democrats and Republicans are together interested to pass this. I think the hard thing is once I reached Washington DC, I realized just like getting anything done is pretty hard Hmm. in that framework.
1: Yeah, you saw how the sausage is made. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) No, that was very insightful for me just to see how everything works there.
1: Yeah. And as a founder, as an immigrant Mm -hmm. founder, what would you say are the biggest challenge you've had so far with immigrant first?
0: I feel like, I mean, I knew the problem very deeply. So I understood the problem very well. I feel like for me, it's just building on the product definitely takes time. And keeping the momentum going when you have no money and you just keep focusing on your vision and try to convince people that, yes, this is a big enough market and people are going like, oh, no. Is not a big enough market and you keep going and you keep going and you keep getting more and more traction. I feel like keeping things going for a long time, especially when there is no money coming in and you just want to support people and you are also not thinking about like, hey, how I'm going to make money out of it. You are just like building it out because you truly care about the problem. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that has been definitely something which has taken a It's not easy to do, but I feel like I'm very lucky that my younger brother, who is a software developer, he's like, hey, I would like to help you. He started helping me and that's how we have been going. And some of his friends have been helping us. So I'm very happy how it's coming together. And since they are also kind of immigrants, they understand the problem, they care about it. Now I feel like even outside America, I'm getting so much traction, like Canada and Australia and UK. I'm feeling like we're going to turn this into more of a global hub where it can help People from around the world.
1: Yeah. And I think for at least for me, and what I'm seeing Mm -hmm. is like a lot of different jurisdictions really trying to understand the power of not only like having startup founders or technology Mm -hmm. founders within their ecosystem, but inviting different immigrant founders to their place. So that has, I think, become a really fascinating conversation and trend all over the world. You know, whenever I talk to people who listen to the show, one of the things is like starting a company by itself is not straightforward. It's definitely, you know, it's doable and everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people do it. Mm -hmm. People always ask like, how did you start the company as an immigrant founder from India? What are the tactical stuff that you took? Or was there like a specific visa that you're on that allowed you to do it? Like any of those details would be super helpful.
0: Definitely. One thing I realized is first of all, I mean, I shared, I like building stuff and I enjoy solving problems which are hard and immigration yeah. is a very hard problem to solve. So when I just started building it out, I my biggest thing was, do I understand the problem enough and do I think there is technology to solve it, then just continuing to get people together to actually solve it together. And that's where I think I got a lot of advantage with having my brother to support mm-hmm. me and some of his friends to support me and saying like, Hey, we would like to help and we would like to join you on this mission. Most of the work that we have done is like not looked at in terms of money or how we are gonna do the going forward plan, but just having a deeper understanding within our team that how much synergy we have together, how much complementary skills we have together and ensuring because in the end, I feel like last company, I mean, the one reason of that didn't work out was because we just took the wrong problem. It was a hardware idea and mm-hmm. hardware is like more of a research problem. So this time I knew what problem I'm solving. I knew technology, how it can solve it too. Mm-hmm. And it's about whether it's a big enough market or not, whether it's a big enough problem or not. And to me, more important thing was solving a problem that I cared about than actually solving any random problem. Mm-hmm. Like I wouldn't feel happy solving a random marketing problem And solving a problem of immigration, which I care about and I faced, irrespective of how big the company can get, you know, in different domains. So that's where I feel like I look at things very differently. I mean, I'm on H-1B and H-1B has been my visa. And that's how I've been on the side, continue to build momentum. Now we have a good place. We don't make any money, but I feel like as once we talk to investors and all, and they're like, hey, we would like to support you. Then I can transfer my visa and do other stuff.
1: Yeah. I think when you're building such an early stage stuff, company as well, and the product, building that momentum and what helps is really feeling that passion to do it. I know people say the P word a lot, but that in moments where it, you know, momentum might be off, you're like, that actually is the vision that I'm going towards. Therefore, I continue to push. That's awesome. Yeah, and thanks for sharing that as well. I'm being super candid about, like, you know, the product, the mission, and the visa status too. I would love to close this out by yes. first, did we cover anything else that we haven't covered? Uh,
0: no, I think you pretty much touched on everything. I think we went from my high school days to my what I've been working on, yeah. into my Iron Man and everything. Yeah, I think we covered pretty much
1: everything. Yeah, and we can always yeah. do one in the future as well to cover more yeah. things. I always close out my episodes with. What are you optimistic about? The reason why I ask that is I think building something as founders do is a very optimistic act, but doing it as an immigrant founder is even more so. So yeah, what are you optimistic about?
0: Uh, So I think just to touch on that, how immigrant founders are different. I feel like for my life, you know, I have seen the ground. When you start from the ground, when you have nothing, when you are like born poor and when your parents have a hard time paying your school fees and then you grow from that level, all you know is the worst that can happen is you go back to that. And you know, the life at that point also was not that bad. Like it was a good life. Like you enjoyed it. So I feel like that is definitely a superpower as an immigrant founder, which a lot of us experience because we are not doing it because we have grown from a point of so much scarcity in our lives that everything else is full of joy because we are like oh wow everything is great from where i started so that's definitely the superpower now i'm a, i'm definitely a very optimistic guy and i feel i just feel like how the world is taking shape now with different countries and different people from different countries the whole talent that is coming out in the world yeah. and because of the power of the internet i'm able to see people in different regions around the world are able to uplift their communities through their work with the help of internet. And I feel like that is very powerful. So I'm I'm very optimistic to see how the world shapes up together.
1: Yeah. Even your stories, like I can tell you're super optimistic, guys. So I was very excited by that. And when you said the internet and the power of the internet, and I know in the last yeah, couple of years, there's always been, you know, like negative with any technology, there's positive and negative, but the ability to be able to have that one or small voice anywhere in the world amplified because the message is great or the product is great or the community is great. That is super powerful. And without the internet, we can't do that. And without the internet, we can't have this conversation today either.
0: Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, this podcast is a great example. Like, I mean, someone somewhere in some village can watch this story and say like, hey, I want to do something like this and change their life, you know? I mean, that is the power of the internet. And I mean, I have done the same for myself too. Like watch some story and I'm like, oh my God, this is so inspiring. Let's save it. And I want to use this story for my life. So we all that is the power of internet for us in our lives.
1: Yeah. Well, Tal, thank you so much for joining the show. If people want to, you know, if immigrants are, you know, hitting their head on the wall, being like, oh, I don't know how to approach this process. Where can they find your company? Where can they find you?
0: Definitely. You can find me on LinkedIn. My LinkedIn name is Atal, A-T-A-L, Agarwal, A-G-A-R-W-A-L. And immigrant first is Immigrant first.ai do not worry about your immigration journey and it does have a lot of pain in it but there are so many people who have gone so much success out of it even by falling under many times and it still saw the light of the day so don't worry about it and you will shine brighter and just keep focusing on your work and giving your best and the world will figure it out for you
1: absolutely that's such a great message to end on and thank you so much yeah.
0: thank you so much for having me bye
1: Thank you so much for listening. If you found this valuable, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of your favorite podcast app. One more thing, Foreign Founders is a new podcast, so please consider leaving a rating or review. That helps more people find the show. See you on the next episode.